I want to thank you so much for coming this morning to Outward Church and being a part of uh, what God is doing here. Uh, we're excited about how God is working uh, in your life and in the life of, uh, of our church. Um, I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. We're going to be picking up there. We're in a series on 1 Corinthians. And while you're turning there, um, let me just give you a little bit of info on uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, the Apostle Paul started a church in Corinth, and then after he left, the wheels kind of came off. And all of these people are uh, in the church in Corinth, and they're trying to figure out uh, how life should be lived or how they should be operating as a church. And so the Apostle Paul uh, begins to answer some questions that they've had, and he begins to, to teach them through this book. And so we are very much like Corinth. And in fact, I would say this, that we are Corinth in so many ways, that we are just like this church that uh, has so many issues and, and so many of these things that they will bring up uh, in, in regards to the life of the church apply to us. All of them do in one way or another. Um, but here, here's what, where we could go wrong. We could say, well, this is for some old church, or this is for another time, or that doesn't really apply to me right now. But oftentimes, when you do that, you miss something very important. You miss something incredibly important in life. This morning, we're, what we're really talking about is we're talking about, do you know God, or do you just know about Him? Do you know God, or do you just know about Him? A lot of us would, would like to believe there's something going on with my microphone, and if you know me, things like that, like little squeaks and things that are like touching me at weird angles, like it just drives me nuts and I can't really concentrate. And so I just have to talk about it, just kind of get it out there on the surface. And, and uh, it's like it's sitting here on my ear, just driving me nuts. But I think, I think we've got it now. Someone jacked with my microphone. Okay, so here we go. Do you know God? <laughs> do you know God or, or, or do you know, just know about him? Because it's possible that you could just know about God and not really know God. It's possible that you could know about God and not really know him. And, and this is the way that this comes out. Is that many people would say, well, I, I'm not really sure I want to believe in him. And, and so your, your relationship with God or the possibility of relationship with God with you is really built on this idea of, am I going to give him belief? Am I going to give him something of, of my own? And that's not really the question. The question is whether you know God or not, not whether you believe in him or not. Whether you have relationship in, in him or, 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 or do you just kind of know about him? That's so often what it comes down to is that we think that it just comes down to whether I make a decision. And really what it comes down to is whether I truly know him. And that's what this church in Corinth is dealing with. This church in Corinth is dealing with something where they, they, they think that they know God, but they don't really know him. There's an immaturity that's going on in their, in their lives. Early on in my marriage, there was an immaturity in the way that I knew my wife. Uh, I, my wife uh, at times would be like, you know, I wish that you would, uh, would have done this or we, you would have done that. And I, and, I, and I would say, babe, tell me what you want me to do. And she would say, but I don't want to have to tell you what you should do. And I'm like, 
No, you should tell me what you want me to do because then I'll do it for you and we'll be happy. It'll be fantastic. But what her thing is, what her thing was, was this, is that you don't, that, that's not you knowing me. That's you just doing what I told you to do, not because you know me. And so this, this year, uh, for this birthday, um, which was just a couple of days ago, um, I, uh, I decided, okay, I, I know my wife, and uh, I have 10 years of experience in this, more than 10 years, really, if you include dating. And there was, there was quite a long dating period there. We broke up like five times. That's besides the point. Um, we haven't broken up since we've been married. That's what you should know. So... Uh, so, but, uh, but here's the thing. So I, I, I thought, okay, what can I do for my wife? And so I'm, I've, I've got all of the kids with me, except for the, the youngest, I guess. And we're going through Target. And it is pandemonium in, in there with three children. And my kids are just like, they are wound up. And we're looking for things. Dad, let's buy this. Dad, let's get that. Dad, let's get this other thing. And then I saw it. I saw it. I saw the thing. That would, I, I, was, I was almost sure of it that it would warm my wife's heart. And I, I mean, it was, it was a beautiful thing. It was incredible. I mean, it was, it was an amazing gift. And I saw it on the shelf and I was like, oh my goodness, it, it is going to be epic. And so I reached up and I grabbed a piñata. That's right, a piñata. I got, I, 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 I got this incredible tiny piñata because we live in a trailer right now. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, if you live in a trailer, it's a great place to live. I'm not uh, besmirching that, uh, uh, but, uh, I, but we do live in a trailer. My wife's sister likes to say that we should have a sign out front that says, home is where you park it, um, and um, we haven't quite done that yet, but we live in a trailer, and I thought the greatest thing, my wife would love this so much because of the ridiculous nature of having a piñata in a trailer, right? And so in the morning, we woke her up, put up all the decorations. It was chaos. And then we put a little hook up in the ceiling. And then my wife actually had to uh, break apart the piñata. And uh, the kids went crazy. But that didn't come as a result of kind of flippant, you know, knowledge of my wife or rote knowledge. It came as a result of, I know my wife. And I know that my wife would think that this is so fun. She would think that this is so funny. She would, she would say, he knows me because he knows that I would have wanted to have this little party in this tiny trailer and create this chaos because it would be so fun. That's the difference between knowing some things about my wife, having a rote knowledge about her, and truly knowing her. Do you know God? Do you know God or do you just know some things about him? Have you put off belief in God because you, you think that you know some things about God, but you don't really know him, and so you've, 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 you've not really engaged with this idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 16 is going to speak to that. Now, let me give you some context real quick. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying to these people, he's saying, you've got a problem, and, and, and I want to communicate to you that I want you guys to get along. He says... Uh, in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be un un united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so he says to them, he's saying, I want you guys to be united in the things that you're doing as a church. I want you to not be arguing and fighting all the time. And what are they arguing and fighting about all the time? 
They, they, each of them has a different leader that they like. I like this guy. I like that guy. I like that guy. I like that guy. And they're fighting about this, different ways of preaching. And one of the most critical aspects of that is the idea of wisdom. And they're saying, this, this person has true wisdom, or that person has true wisdom. And what Paul's going to say is he's going to say this. He's going to say that the fact that there are arguments that are going on in the context of your uh, believing body, in the context of that church, shows that you are really submitting to worldly wisdom. And the, the fact is, is that you don't really know or you don't really understand God on the level that you should be understanding God. And so he says this. I'm in Romans 14. Wow. Chapter, there we go. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6. He says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now why did he just say that? He just said that because I didn't come to you with great wisdom and eloquence and, and speaking to you like some fantastic preacher, what I brought to you was the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ crucified on a cross. And so he says, yet among the spiritually mature, among the mature, we do pass on this wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That's a key verse right there. If they had known this, if they had really understood him, they would not have crucified him. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I want to stop for just a second and just say, if you're like me, and you're, you're hearing this, or you've read this before, or, or what have you, and you, you, you've thought to yourself, wow, that's fantastically confusing. I want you to know something. It's confusing to me, too, because <laughs> like, oh, oh, by the time I get done, my mind is twisted. And then on top of that, there's another issue with it, which I feel like what that passage is saying, I feel like what it's saying is that everyone who doesn't believe in God is stupid. I feel like that's what it's saying on the surface. That, that's not what it's saying. That's what I feel like it's saying. But that's not actually what's taking place there. What Paul is saying is he's saying this. There is wisdom out there. There is wisdom out there. But that wisdom in all aspects 
cannot be the guiding wisdom of our church. That wisdom out there cannot be the guiding wisdom of what we do or how we act or how we respond. And so what, what he's saying here is he's saying this. He's saying, the fact that you guys are arguing shows that you don't really know God. In fact, he says several times over and over again, he says, you do not have understanding. The Spirit was given for understanding. Six times he uses uh, this word or a variation of this word or a synonym of this word, uh, gnosko, which means to know. And he's saying, you, you don't really know. You need to know him. You need to know him. You need to know him. And so he's saying, we have limited understanding of who God is in our natural selves. And when we have limited understanding and we really just go outside and we say, what is the prevailing wisdom of our day? What is our world saying about life and how, how life should operate? Uh, when, when we go to, our, go to our world and say, what is the prevailing wind of how we should conduct uh, things that happen within the context of the church, and we say, that's what we're going to do in here. When we do that, it shows something, and that is that we know some things about God, but we don't really know God. The same thing's true in your life. That is that when things are going sideways, when things are not working out, when there's sin that's taking place in your life, when, when you are somebody who's regularly dealing with things that are tearing you down, when you've got a marriage that never heals, and it's just, it's always raw. It's just always raw because there's always argument. When you have friendships that are always in that way, when you have relationships, when your relationships with your friends and coworkers at your work are torn down and there's fighting, here's, here's the truth. It's always a problem with your knowledge of God. Like you may know some things about God, but you don't really know God. You don't really have a relationship with Him. And what Paul's saying is that like, if you know God, if you really know him, like these things wouldn't be taking place. These things would not be taking place. And so he says this. He says, as a natural person, a person without the spirit of God, a person who's not a believer, as a natural person, we are limited in three ways, at least three ways, from really knowing God or understanding him as a natural person. First of all, he talks about how uh, the wisdom of this age in verse 6 he, he says, uh, which God decreed before the ages for our glory, verse 7. He, what he's saying there is he's saying that what God has is outside of time. And you and I being human and natural are limited by time. And so God is not limited by time, but we are limited by time. And so our understanding and our knowledge of God is, first of all, it's limited and critically limited by time. Because when God creates, when God makes, when God does things, what he's doing is he, he has done them before the ages. And he has an eternal plan and he is sovereign over all things. And so when we're in the midst of these arguments or these discussions, when we have infighting going on in the church, one of the first things that we lack understanding of God is his timing versus our timing. How he sees time versus how I see time. The second thing is our senses. We're limited by our senses. Look at what he, he uh, um, qu 
quotes from Isaiah in verse, where am I at here? In verse, there we go, verse 9. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. The second thing that we, that we are limited in is, is, first of all, we're limited in time. Secondly, we're limited in our senses. That we, we, we cannot see, we cannot understand, we cannot imagine what God can do or what he's going to do. We, we, it's outside of time. It's outside of our senses. We have no senses to even be able to get to that. So we're limited in our knowledge of God by our senses. And then the third thing is by access. We have limited access to God. We, we can't get into him. We, we can't get, get to him. We can't really know him personally because we don't really have that relationship with him. I don't know if you've ever uh, really come to respect someone like a, um, a celebrity or someone who's on TV or something like that. And this has happened a few times, and I've always thought that this was very interesting. Like Theodore Roosevelt. Like I watched a, a documentary on him. I want to read a book about him. But the guy is just an amazing, an amazing figure in history. One of our former presidents, if you didn't know that. And so Theodore Roosevelt was just this amazing person. He's kind of bombastic. But at the same time, he was a great leader. And so here's Theodore Roosevelt. And one time he, he was shot. Someone tried to assassinate him. And then he went on to give an hour-plus speech in front of a bunch of people while he was still wounded. And this guy went all over the place. He fought battles. He did all kinds of things all over the world. And this guy was, he was amazing. And the thing that I think when I, when I see these things is like, man, I wish I could have sat and talked with him. I wish I could have had some type of friendship with him because I, I want to know how he thinks. Winston Churchill is another one. I remember being at a, uh, at a uh, Johnny Swim uh, concert with my wife and just thinking, like I heard a little bit of this guy's story, the, um, the guy who sings in that group, and heard a little bit of his story, and I, and I just thought to myself, man, I would love to know him, and I would love to know the backstory of these songs, and I would love to know about him. I would love to know who he is would love to know what he's like. And so you can see someone and you can say, like, I respect them. There's some things I know about them and I, and I want to know more. And it's like evoking this response. And so you can read an autobiography or a biography or you can, you can look into their life. But the truth is that you can't really know them because you don't have access to them. And we're limited by access to God because... We don't have his spirit operating in our lives. So we're limited on the, in those three ways. But look at what God does. Verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So here's the thing. There's a big problem. There's a big gulf between us and God. Like we can't experience him. We can't know him. That's how our lives are lived. They're, they're chaotic. There's all kinds of things that are going on. We can't really do that. But God acts, but he doesn't just act like here and now, like he acted before the ages. And what it's saying in verse seven is, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. So what does God do? God acts to hide his wisdom. So the first thing, God hides his wisdom. You might say, why does God hide his wisdom? Why does he hide it? Why does he do that? 
Would you search for God if you could just, if you could just know? Would, would you even go after him or would it just be, I know some things about God and, and that's good enough for me, but God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for humanity that we might reach out and try to find him, that we would try to have a relationship with him, and that we would try to discover what's going on. And so what it's saying here is it's saying there is a mystery. In fact, that word hidden is really mysterion, I believe. It says, but we impart a secret and mysterious wisdom of God. And he's saying, this is what we have to show you because God has hidden it. You would never seek after God if God had not first hidden that. But why did God hide that? It's so he could have relationship with you. It's so that he could have relationship with you. It's so that you would communicate with him and so that you would seek after him. And the question is, are you seeking after him? Are you seeking him? The second thing that he does, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So the first thing, God acts to hide his wisdom. The second thing that he does is that he decrees before the ages for our glory. God, before anything took place, before anything happened, God decreed that this is what was going to take place. I'm going to hide this secret wisdom and I'm, and I'm going to shroud it so that you can't find it. But I'm making that decision so that you'd come after me, so that you would get relationship with me, and that you would experience my glory in your life. Now let me stop for a second and just say this. Why do I want glory in my life? We talked about this last year. What, it, what does that mean? It means this. The thing that you're searching for in everything, the accolades that you want, the success that you desire, the, the way that you want to be built up and the, and the friendships that you have and in your marriage or in any way, the promotion that you want, it all has its roots in this one thing, glory. It's all rooted in glory. What's going on in the Corinthian church is that they're trying to find glory in worldly wisdom and all of these other sources. But what God says, what Paul says here, is that God has decreed that glory does not come through the things in our life. Glory does not come through the things that we're seeking after and the, these other gods that we want. Glory comes from him and only from him. He has decreed it. The third thing that God does, he prepares. Verse 9, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So God not only uh, hides, decrees, but he prepares. He's preparing something for you. And it is beyond your imagination. It's beyond what you can possibly think about. It's beyond what you could possibly know. It's, your eye has never seen it. You've never imagined it. You've never heard about it. It's beyond this world because we're limited in our knowledge of God. The fourth thing is he reveals. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. 
So we're in this position. Like I know some things about God. I see these, these, these things in my life that need to be taken care of. I see these issues. And, and, I, and I want them addressed. But I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to get there to that point where God begins to work in my life. And so here's the thing that you, that you and I can do oftentimes. You and I can find ourselves in this position where we say, I'm just, I just need to know a little bit more. I need to know a little bit more. I need to know a little bit more. Now, I'm not going to say that you shouldn't know about God. Theology is very important. You should know about God. But what this is talking about, this is talking about relationship. It's talking about knowing more than just about God. It's having relationship with God. It's being connected with him. It's, it's talking with him. It's knowing him and him knowing you. It's, it's being in this thing with him and not just saying, okay, I, I'm just going to do a little bit more for you and I'm going to do a little bit more for you and I'm going to do a little bit more for you and hopefully you'll give back to me. But here's what he's saying. is He's saying God has prepared things that you have no idea about God has prepared things that you could never imagine, and it comes through him. God acts in these ways. What what do I need to do to get close to God? God is the one who gets close to you. It's like, I need to upload, I need to upload to God, I need to give all these things, but what's really important is God's download to you. God's God's revealing, his revelation to you brings about relationship with him. That's why he's so good, because here's the thing. You can't get to God on your own. You can't somehow figure it out enough. You can't know enough to get close to God. What Paul is saying is, you guys are really, really wise in a worldly way. What you don't have is relationship with God. And people who've been a part of the church for years, here's what they get into. They get into, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. And what they don't get is that God is the one who does. God is the one who does. God is the one who has done. God is the one who has done. God is the one who has done. So that... Those who have received this revelation will, hold that thought, verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. God is the one who reveals through the power of his spirit so that we might see that God is the one who gives. God is the one who gives. God is the one who gives so that we can live our lives for him. And if you do not get that right, you've missed everything. If there is not this internal drive to know him and to know him more and to know him and to know him more, then all you'll ever have is knowledge of God and not true relationship with God. How many of us are in that?
position. How many of us are in that position? And we just can't figure it out. I want more of God. I, I want to have relationship with Him. And some of you are, are, are on the fence where you're, you're like, I'm not sure that I believe. And what, what this is saying is that it's not about you believing. Yes, you must believe. But that belief has content. And that content is this. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about him? And how does that change your heart? Because belief is not just this, okay, I believe, you know, great. Belief at its core is, is trust. I'm trusting in him. Because he's the one who's acted, and so therefore I'm going to respond. And how am I going to respond? How am I, how am I going to respond to this God? See, this is, this is the thing that we miss so many times, is that we're missing the reality that my love is what drives me to God and to live for him. My love for God. Look at, look at what he says in, in here. He says, gosh, should mark this down. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. It's the people who come to this place where they say, I see how God has acted, how he hid this from me so that I would search after him, how he decreed that this is how I was going to experience life in its fullness, and experience God's glory in my life eternally, and then I see how he prepared this for me, and I see how he is revealing this to me, and I see how he's given this to me, and so therefore, the way that I respond is in love, is in love for this God. See, here's the thing. I can't give you a formula to grow your relationship with God. I cannot give it to you. I can't just hand you something and say, do these things and you will be closer with God. I can't do it. The starting point, the beginning point of your life with God has to begin with this. Do you love God? for everything that he is and what he's done for you. Do you love God on that level? Because if you don't, what's going to happen is you're going to have rote religion. At the heart of who you are, you may be really good at following the rules, but at, at, at the core of who you are, you're a Pharisee because you don't really have a relationship with God. You worship God externally, but, but your heart is far from him. Or you may be somebody who's constantly struggling and you're saying, I can never get it right. God could never forgive me for this. I heard about somebody recently who walked out uh, on his family and what he said was this. He said, God will never forgive me. God could never forgive me for these things. And here's what he proved through that statement. He does not know the magnitude. He does not understand how incredible the love of God is and how it overwhelms our sin. And as a result, what happens is this, is that in my lowest point of sin, at my deepest point of, of 
of unbelief in God when I have walked out on him and I've walked out on my friends and I've walked out on my family at my lowest point when I feel like I don't really have what it takes. That is the point that God is whispering to us all the more saying, I paid for that, I paid for that, I paid for that. My love has taken care of that on the cross. And if you had only known this, if you had only known this, if you would only know this, then life could be so much different for you. Life could be changed. It could be different for you when you walk away from the idea of saying, like, I'm just, I'm going to believe or I'm not going to believe, but you walk into the idea that he is God and he has wisdom that's beyond mine. And so I need God to act in my life. I need God to be the one who's going to do something amazing so that I can have real relationship with him. And we can have a piñata in the trailer. And we can enjoy life together. And I get to submit to him as my authority. And I get to say to him, like, you're the one who's in charge. You're the one who's, you're the one who's done everything. You've done everything for me. You've forgiven me for everything. And so my life follows with that. That's why Paul is saying this. That's why Paul's doing this. He's saying that your life and what you do for God, it flows first and foremost out of the Spirit of God working in your life and showing you, attesting to who God is so that you would know Him fully. 1 John 4, verse 9 and 10 says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you see what, that, what that's saying? In this, God's love was shown to us. He, he showed it to us on the cross. And he's saying, this is how much I love you. This is how much I love you. And he says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so you might be sitting here, you might be saying, okay, so here's my problem. Like I know that I need to love God, but I don't really love him. I don't really, I don't really want relationship with him all that much, but I kind of want this thing and so what he's saying here is he's saying it's not that your relationship with God begins with you saying, oh, I love God so much because so many of us know, like, I don't feel authentic about that. There are times in my life where I'm like, I don't feel like my love for God is growing. Do you know what my problem is? I don't see God's love for me. In this is love, not that we have loved God. Not that I am doing all the right things and not that I have checked all the right boxes and not that I am no longer sinning anymore, but God is the one who acted to love me. God is the one who acted through his spirit to love me and through the son of God on the cross and then he gives me his spirit to change my life so that 
I can say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. God, what can I give you? And this is, and this is what God says. Now we can start talking about your life changing. Now we can start looking at these things because you know how much I love you. Do you know that stuff in your life that you keep kicking around? You know that relationship that you know that you shouldn't have? You know that stuff? I love you so much, even in and through those things. I love you enough to die for you. And now that you know that I love you, let's talk about that. What, what will you keep from me now that, I, now that you see how much I love you? What will you keep from me? What will you keep from our relationship? Is, is that area out of bounds now? Here's the thing. So many of us have not done business with God because all we have is a rote knowledge of Him and not a relationship with Him. We don't really know Him. And so what should you do today? You should pray. You should say, Lord God, I know that I... I don't love you the way that I should, and I see the evidence in my life. I, I, I know that you disagree with, with my life. I know that I've sinned, but I know how much you love me. And so what I'm asking you, God, is that you would make me want to love you. That you'd make me want to love you. And some of you are just at this place where you'd say, I, I'm not even sure that I want to love God. And you, some of you have heard me say this before. But this is where I was. I'm not even sure that I'm there, God. I'm not sure that I want to give that up. And, and, and so here's what I believe God wants from you. He wants you to say, God, I want to want to want to love you. Would you help me do that? Help me experience your love. And then some of you are like on a whole nother plane where you'd say, I don't even want to want to want, but I see some truth in this. And so you need to go back like a ton more steps and just say, God, I want to want, to want, to want, to love you, but I'm not even sure that I'm there yet, but God, I, I just, I, I think I want this, but I'm not sure, and I'm, I'm not sure that I want to give those things up, and God says, just, I just want you to experience my love, and so you just got to say, okay, God, I just want to experience your love. I want to experience what you've done for me. I, I, I want to imagine it. I want to see it. I want to hear it. By the power of your spirit, would you sear that into my life? And some of you just, you just, that's just where you need to start. You need to start at that point and just say, God, I want to want to be there with you. But I just don't have the will. And God says, that's okay. Because I do. I'm the one who acts. You're the one who responds. I'm the one who saves. You're the one who gets glory along with me. That's a great deal. That's an awesome thing. That is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Would you bow your heads with me? I, I, I just... I just want to talk to you for a moment with your heads bowed, eyes closed. There is so much 
media out there. We're always listening, always, always looking. We're never really alone with our thoughts. And I just, I just want to ask you to ask God, God, do I really know you? Or is this just some kind of rote understanding that I picked up as a kid, that I've picked up from my society? Do I really know you? Do I have relationship with you? I want you to ask yourself now, And I want to ask you to pray this to God. God, why do I not sense relationship with you? Why am I not responding the way that you would have me respond? Why am I not living the way that you would have me live? And the third thing I want to ask you to do is this. It's to say... God, show me, show me how I have chosen not to believe in you, how I have chosen not to trust you by not responding to your love for me. Show me how much you love me. Show me this. Let me see it in the cross. Allow my heart to be opened by the power of your spirit to experience you. And then let's, let's, let's repent. Let's just take a moment right now. Let's just say, God, you went to the cross for my sin. You went to that cross. You suffered an incredible death. Like you experienced the worst of the worst, like you experienced it. God, help me place in my mind my sin on that cross with you. Help me see it as being paid for. Help me see that as, as the thing that you, you went to the cross for that. It's just thinking in our minds of the worst thing. What's the thing that I feel so unforgiven for? What's the thing that makes me feel the dirtiest? What's the thing that makes me feel the most unloved? And let's put that on the cross and say, God, that's how much you love me. That's how much you love me. You, you went to the cross for me. Let's just, let's just thank him right now for that. Let's just thank him. Just say, thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross and showing me your love, that you would take my worst sin, the sins that I've done or the sins that have been done against me, that you've taken those things and you've washed me clean. I'm, I'm no longer dirty. I'm no longer unclean. I'm no longer someone who's un, unworthy, but you have made me worthy. You have made me righteous. You have redeemed me. You have sanctified me. You've made me new. You've justified me. And you've caused me to be a new person by the power of your spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. Say that in your heart to God and just say, thank you for what you've done for me. 
And I'm going to pray for you right now that you would experience an overflowing sense of God's love. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would overwhelm us here this morning. Lord God, that people would just sense your love just broken apart in, in, in their hearts, Lord, that they would sense your blood having washed over every sin, Lord, that they would sense your love at the deepest level, Lord, that they would feel you, Lord, that they would sense you, and Lord, that they can go to you and say, God, I know that you've, that you've forgiven me, and I know that you look at me as, as clean, even though I still know I have stuff, I know that you still I know that you still love me. Lord, that you're never going to let me go. No matter what I do, no matter what happens, you're never letting me go. I sense your love. Lord, please let that be the cry of our hearts. Lord, may your spirit sear into our lives your love. May you do something amazing for your glory. Lord, allow us to see it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.